You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack innovations in education. Today, we're joined by Adam Kulas, who directs school and district coaching here at Getting Smart. Adam just wrapped up a decade of South Sound school leadership. He led new high schools, alternative high schools, blended learning schools, Montessori elementary schools. Adam has done it all, and he's here to share 21 lessons learned in a a decade of school leadership. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Excited to be here. Kick us off. uh, Lesson number one. Well, I think uh, we'll go ahead and start off with don't forget to breathe. Early and often, it's critical to the leadership journey and ultimate success. It's a great one to start with, right? Because it's a crazy job, right? It's impossibly difficult. There's stuff coming at you all day long. So I think this is a great one to stop, take a deep breath, right? Absolutely. Number two. I think it's critical that we start with our why. And in doing so, we support our staffs that we get to lead in creating theirs and owning their why. I like that. And uh, my, my build on that would be that that good schools share a few big ideas that drive coherence in learning and the way they staff and structure and the systems they build. It's interesting that the why in different school communities is, is different. Sometimes it's a bargain around preparation, like all kids college ready, or pedagogy like PBL or a partner like a zoo school in, uh, in Tacoma or a path like STEM, but it's a set of agreements around a why, and that may be linked to a personal mission, right? A, a why statement for you. Absolutely. I think, I think that's where the passion comes through and, and truly allows you to design for each and every whole child. Number three. Number three is an exciting one in that I think with conviction, students are the most powerful stakeholders in any, in any building. Their capacity to deliver incredible things is oftentimes more more evident than we than we think. So I love that you have student experience so high on the, on the list here. Get, give me an example of what that looks like. So for the last couple of years, I've had the opportunity to work in a pre-K through eighth grade public Montessori school in Tacoma, and just countless countless opportunities to see students thrive. One really fun example was uh, last year we had a a group of middle school students uh, ranging from 6th through 8th grade who said that they wanted a Minecraft club. And so they found a staff member who was willing to support basically supervision, and they ran it, they built it, they designed it, uh, and they truly delivered it to students 1st through 5th grade. And so just a really neat, tangible example of making something come to life with very little adult interaction. That's a great example of uh, student voice and choice. Lesson number four. Four, stolen from our good friends at Disney, uh, Mr. Walt, in terms of this yes-if mentality. I think that forever and a day, we, we get a lot of opportunities to say no and, and follow it with, with because. But I found that if you, if you make public that you're a yes-if leader, then people begin to really accelerate solutions. And so just an, an exciting mindset to have. I love that. As a school leader, finding a way to say yes. Uh, lesson number five. Creative staffing. Sometimes this this is attached to to budgets uh, and finding productive ways of of making it to uh, the end. Oftentimes we look at it as a B to A as opposed to A to B, uh, and it allows you to sort of get creative in in crafting uh, staffing that makes sense for kids, um, and oftentimes will support passions of adults in that sometimes they are eager to teach different 
different things and, and deliver different passion areas for them to kids that may not have come about had you not asked the question. I love that. It's a good example of backwards mapping or backwards design. Lesson number six. I'd have to go with capacity building. And this one's, this one's huge and a little bit connected to sometimes having to get creative with, with budgets. Anytime I can get staff or as a leader, we can get staff in front of staff to do some, some professional development, everyone wins. And so if you're in a scenario where, where you're not able to send an entire staff or, or even a large team to, to get some rich professional development that's out there, you can send a couple with the understanding that they're going to bring it back and, and deliver it to their peers or their colleagues. I love that. And uh, we're big fans of school visits as some of the most important and powerful professional learning experiences out there. But let's not forget that can start with classroom visits by creating time and space to go visit a classroom down the hall. And as you said, be in front of your colleagues around some shared practices. Lesson number seven. I'm a huge fan of community-owned systems. Systems work are, are critical to just delivering uh, amazing, innovative models. And, and it's also very difficult work, but I think it's work that, that definitely pays, pays in the end. So that systems piece, if, if there's shared voice and, and shared ownership, then it has some sustainability in terms of kind of the lasting, lasting effect. I like that. I've been writing about networks this year, and our friend Curtis Ogden and others uh, note that it's, it's all about the system. It's not about working individuals. It's about, as a leader, working the system. And, and we think that means ed leaders uh, first are conversation leaders, uh, framing up community conversations that yield a set of agreements about what's important here, how things are going to be different and better next year, a set of agreements that, that cre- really create role and goal clarity uh, for teachers and, and staff members, and then break change down into meaningful chunks. So I, I appreciate the community-owned systems idea. Lesson number seven, uh, number eight. Eight's probably one of my favorite uh, in that it's celebrating the knowledge and experience that's in the room. I think that having been very fortunate to work in some some extremely diverse communities, that cultural background of experience and knowledge really just enhances every aspect of the school community and, and what we deliver to kids. So I think celebrating it, recognizing it, and then maximizing that knowledge really just supports supports that family piece that that highlights everyone's strengths. That's great. And getting more and more important in most communities as they get more diverse. Lesson number nine. A safe environment is absolutely critical in terms of of creating a safe, vulnerable place where people can fail forward. One of my favorite expressions in in leadership and learning is this idea of of failing forward, being okay with recognizing that the the learning journey is a marathon and not a sprint, and that by trying different things, yes, there may be some stumbles and some hiccups, but in the end, we get to reiterate and, and drive change forward. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and today we're talking with Adam Kulas about school leadership. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out Season 2, Episodes 62, 63, and 64 on Personalized Learning Pilots. Adam, we're uh, back with the second half of your lessons learned. What's uh, number 10? It's one of my favorite favorite expressions and, and honestly favorite things to do, uh, and that's celebrate community. I think beyond that immediate, the school walls... Um, and really just putting it out there for 
for the world to see. Kids do some amazing things. We have incredibly talented teachers in every environment I've ever been in. And so just finding ways ways to celebrate that beyond assessment, finding that balance uh, and really promoting whole child, whole child celebration. You know, uh, we, the Buck Institute recently held uh, PBL World and they at that meeting really stressed the importance of public products, of kids producing great publications, uh, great exhibitions. We think that's a great way to celebrate student success. How about number 11? Yeah, as a, as a coach, as a designer, as a leader, I would not be anywhere close to where I'm currently at without powerful mentors. I think you find them early and find them often. Find individuals that are going to align with that that mentality or that filter of, of questioning whether is it best for kids and, and how are you getting there. That dialogue and, and those individuals that, that press on you to be better you is, is absolutely critical in the journey. You know, even though you're in front of people every day, all day, it can be a really lonely job. So uh, having mentors that you can... Uh, you can talk to about the work, I think is, is really important. I think that's related to number 12. It, it absolutely is. And I think sometimes it can be done with those mentors and oftentimes is, is done in isolation, but can, can really create a, an environment for each individual leader to grow. And that's by reflecting on everything. I remember sitting in a staff meeting last year and literally being vulnerable with my staff and saying my list of shortcomings in terms of my growth as a leader could fit on a scroll that would roll out this door. And while it was somewhat in jest, it was, it was very genuine in terms of saying, here's where I am at and here publicly, here's where I'd like to go. And then soliciting their support and getting there. I can appreciate that. I'm sometimes invited to speak on the subject of failure. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the, uh, the way we learn. Number 13. Distributive leadership is number 13, and I think it's important to, once again, you know, a lot of these have crossover, and I think as you're, as you're genuinely growing as a leader and trying to build capacity in others, distributing that leadership and opportunities for other people to take the reins and run with different initiatives that, that are going to serve kids is, is very important in that, in that journey. Yeah, I agree. I think distributed leadership is more important than ever. With blended and personalized and competency-based learning, all of these really create new leadership opportunities, chances to identify team leaders, grade level leaders. And last week I talked to Brooklyn Lab Principal Eric Tucker, who said moving big rocks is a team sport. And I think all of these new learning models are team sports that uh, give us a great opportunity to distribute leadership across the, uh, the organization. Number 14. 14 is another favorite, Tom. About a decade ago, doing an administrative internship at a, at a really cool, innovative high school, and one of my mentors at the time told me to embrace the KISS model. Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, and it's something that stayed with me uh, over all my different opportunities. And it's, it's really making, everything, making sure that everything translates for the individuals that you're tasked or fortunate to lead and helping them understand where you're going and why you're going there in a simple, simple format. Number 15. This one's fun in, in that we're in the podcast studio. Uh, and it's just finding, your, finding ways to make yourself uncomfortable, pushing yourself to try new things and, and learn new things. It's pretty powerful. And I think from a modeling standpoint, it, it shows the individuals that, that you do get to lead that it's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable with not knowing something and it's okay to recognize that and to tackle it and, and 
and just face that fear. Yeah, I think this is an important lesson, uh, particularly for new leaders, because you really early in your tenure, you only get a few, a few days, a few weeks to find uh, important and symbolic acts that will help people see not just hear who you are as a as a leader. So looking for an opportunity to put yourself out there and uh, to be vulnerable, to be authentic, I think is really important for new leaders. Number 16. Learn early, learn often, and be open to all kinds of different sources. The, you know, some of my beginnings, shameless plug, uh, with over 5,500 blogs, I spent a lot of time on the gettingsmart.com webpage because they were bringing me leaders from all over the United States and even world that were doing amazing things. Read books that are outside of education, read books that are inside of education, and figure out ways of how those could enhance a student's journey. And just be open. Be open. Be a sponge for knowledge. Lifelong learning defined. I'm a big fan of of creating time with your team to learn together every week. We try to start our staff meetings with, uh, with team learning. Number 17. This one's important. I'll say it twice. Do not change for the sake of change. I'll say it again. Do not change for the sake of change. There has to be, there has to be drive and purpose behind any any change movement or or initiative. And I think that a lot of times in education we get caught up in in skipping that 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 phase where where we truly recognize why we're doing something. I think this also goes uh, as an individual leader. It also is important in terms of trying to emulate different mentors or individuals that you may look up to in that realm. You have to be you and you have to own who you are and where you'd like to go and the skill sets that you bring. Forever growing, but but recognizing that that you are you. Number 18. 18 is embrace your village. This one is once again near and dear. I've been in some some communities that truly define what it the, the phrase it takes a village. I think to celebrate those relationships and continue to build them internally, externally, and truly like create access for those individuals to get to kids not only outside of the school day in, in those different environments, but how to invite them into your schools or your your systems to have a, even greater access to kids. This is something I really appreciate about Michelle Cahill, who for many years was the education director at at Carnegie and uh, launched the Springpoint School Network. I really appreciate her her focus on youth development and uh, youth and family supports inside and outside of schools. Uh, number 19. 19 is find empathy and, and place yourself in someone else's shoes. So that could be a parent that's coming in and, and is, is maybe frustrated or concerned uh, with different pieces and really take a second, take a breath, uh, we'll go back to number one, take that breath and really travel travel through their eyes. It's, it's something to celebrate, even though it, it may be difficult at the time, but it's something to celebrate that they're there ready to partner with you. And it's a great opportunity for a relationship. Adam, you and I have had a chance to work with schools that are really great at design thinking that really incorporated into everything they do. And it, it seems like that systematic approach to empathy, to make it a habit. And it I think it's really powerful, not just for kids, but for the adults in the building. Do you see that link? I think it may be. We talk about silver bullets in education and life. And I think to deliver that empathy component to not only my own children, but every student that we have the opportunity to 
to teach could genuinely change the world. Because it's, it's not just a mindset, it's a set of skills of knowing what questions to ask, what practices to really get into somebody else's uh, head in their, uh, to walk in their shoes. So thanks, I love that one. Number 20. 20 summarized with capture all of it. Uh, as a semi-pro doodler, I'm constantly carrying a, a notebook and a pen and, and sometimes a, a picture is worth a thousand words through my eyes. Okay. Uh, some of the greatest things that I've ever been a part of or led or had just even had the opportunity to watch were, were created on a napkin. And, and so capture those things and capture it often and then go back and reflect and look at those pieces, dissect them again. I just made a note to myself on something we're working on to go back and look at a journal that I started seven years ago. And I think I've reread my own thoughts to try to expand with kind of each reading. Well, I've also seen you share those doodles and those notes with with audiences, and I think it really honors the conversation. It shows that you were really concentrating, that you were listening for understanding. I, I think this idea of capturing and sharing also demonstrates transparency, the vulnerability, the being openness, being open to sharing what you're seeing and then inviting people to, uh, to respond to that. Last, uh, number 21. 21 is a great one to wrap with, and, and while we could probably try this list again tomorrow and come up with 21 more things, I would kind of conclude this podcast with, with this idea of being what you say. And I think, I think that travels in every, every day, and it's a constant reminder. One of my favorite examples, once again, can't take full credit, it was, it was delivered to me by a mentor back in my teaching days, so we're, we're pushing two decades uh, would consistently say to me, family first, family first, family first. And so I adopted it because I believed in it and, and it served me at the time. And there was full disclosure, a, you know, a hiccup a few years back where it was like I had continually instilled this in different staff members and had to look in the mirror and say, okay, am I, am I modeling what I'm, what I'm delivering? And, and so I think finding that balance in terms of leadership and, and your own personal existence with your family and your scenario is, is one of the keys to, to leadership. Yeah, this is a great one to end on because uh, as we opened with uh, this work is really hard. It's really important, but it's really hard. And for a school administrator, it can be even more difficult on your family as uh, they watch the challenges that you're going through. So putting uh, family first, you know, leaving the office to get home and have uh, dinner with your family, even on those nights when you have to go back out again, it's uh, super important to, to take time for the stuff that's really important. Adam, let's uh, wrap up with a, a few thoughts on, on school and district coaching. We, we've been working together uh, for a while and coaching districts and schools. Uh, how would you approach how, how would you describe our approach to coaching yeah i think i think the most exciting piece of education in in general is it's that it's that art and science balance and so it's it's taking and, and creating a literally a different world where kids are going to thrive in the scenario or the community that you you reside in uh, with our design process and our coaching components we really personalize it to each partner in terms of maximizing full circle uh, back to that knowledge that it's in the room. And so how do you take this, the strengths and not focus on weaknesses and really amplify those to create models that, that are alive and that are ever changing in terms of being very proactive and reactive to student need. Adam, how can people learn more about our school coaching? Check us out at gettingsmartservices.com or email me directly at adam at gettingsmart.com. 
Thanks to Adam Kulos, and be sure to check out Getting Smart Podcast on iTunes. While you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on innovations in learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Tom signing off.